0: Hey, this is a Hakawati production. It's not always easy to spot a disruptor. The best ones are those who are constantly innovating and are driven by a mission, but what they do is only revealed as disruptive over time as they make their mark, often permanently changing an entire industry. Cultural disruptors rise from the underground and mingle with the mainstream until their voices become the new normal. This episode is part of a three-part series that focuses on creative people who are quietly changing not only their industry, but Arab culture as a whole. My guest today is a Tunisian journalist. She's the founder and editor-in-chief at Millworld, a digital platform dedicated to Arab youth culture, fashion, and beauty. Please welcome Sofia Galati.
1: Hi, Sophia. Hi, Nadia. How are
0: you? I'm great. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So let's talk about Arab culture. You've said in previous interviews that Arab culture is having a proud moment, which I do think it is. But you've also said it's underrepresented. What do you mean by that?
1: I mean, it's underrepresented on global platforms. Of course, you don't see many Arab actors, singers, models, artists, uh, etc. But it's also underrepresented in our own country, which is even... more surprising. Um, for the longest time, um, if, if you remember, the covers of our magazines were uh, people from Europe and the US. So that was uh, very, uh, for me, that was very uh, surprising growing up. And I wanted to I wanted to do something about it.
0: Yeah. And you ended up being the editor of uh, style.com Arabia, of course. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you founded Millworld in 2018. But what happened to Style Arabia or Style.com? Uh,
1: style.com Arabia was Kondena's first venture in the Middle East. So they wanted to test the market with this online platform that was like a sort of. Uh, fashion bible for the for for, for the fashion lovers. And uh, then when it turned out to be a great project, then they decided to launch Vogue Arabia with the same company um, on the back of uh, Style.com. Uh, on the international level, Style.com was merged into Vogue. Uh, so what you know now as Vogue Runway is actually the Style.com team merging with the Vogue teams.
0: I see, I see. Um, just to go back to your point though, um, I was just doing some research today. If if you say that you'd like to have to see more Arab representation on the international uh, stage, in a way, it got me thinking. Though, if only four percent of the U.S. population identifies as Middle Eastern, I mean, how many? Mm-hmm. Arabs do you want to see in the American uh, version of Vogue or in U.S. film? Because if everyone, if all the cultures start to mix and, and, and like marbleize, then, for example, what's the purpose of having a Vogue Arabia if Vogue America already has a lot of Arabs? You see what I'm saying? If you, if you want to ha- keep the flavor of a, of a certain, of the, of the culture of a country, you kind of have to preserve it, don't you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I never claimed I wanted an Arab. I don't want Nancy Azrim on the cover of Vogue, uh, Vogue US. I don't think it would. Uh, I don't think it's the point. Actually, my point is to stop looking at the us for um for uh, validation you know what i mean you 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 don't have to have this sort of like uh, publication cover you for you to become an international uh, fixture i think that it's actually the opposite i think that we need to shine brighter um when you when you look at for example uh, all the all the music we have so much to offer and mainly uh, we listen to european and american music of course here in the region we listen to a lot of uh, Arab music but uh, you see the same thing happen for South American music it was only South American and then know an old um, what's their name Maluma and uh, all of those guys or Shakira they made uh, you know South American uh, music uh, thrive on the international level and this is what I wish for our region actually I make a conscious effort not to um, look you know um, to, to to the other markets for validation uh, and what I try to do in my job and in my life is try to shine you know from where I am and not to try to to to, to go somewhere else for validation it's a gen z thing now we want to decentralize we want to reshuffle the paradigm I think and, uh, and I think that it's very um, it, it's it's pride inducing and I, I think it's a good positive thing
0: well, actually, I was just going to ask you: What is Gen Z looking for now in the Middle East? What do they care about?
1: The thing is, growing up, so I'm, 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 I'm older. I'm, I'm I just turned thirty-eight. Oh my god! And so when I when I grew up, um, I always had this thing in me as an Arab. Um, saying you're not, you're not enough, you need to go to France, you need to go to the UK, you need to go to the US to be successful, you need to have that validation. And I feel like our generation, millennials, the older millennials are very much like this. Whereas Gen Zs with the power of internet, they understood that they can you know, nurture a different identity using their own culture and still shine in their own individual way. They don't need to look like someone else or they don't need to emulate Uh, someone else, uh, to just be themselves. And I feel like there is a sense of pride in, in, you know, uh, where those Gen Z come from, whether it's from Africa, Asia, especially the global South, that didn't really exist before. Before, we had like an inferiority complex that was really, really blatant. And that we see less of now, and it transpires in fashion, in again in music. Um, multiculturalism is is now much more welcome than you know just uh, the good old you know Western narrative that 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 made me. Well,
0: you are Tunisian. You actually live in Tunis, even though Millworld is based in Dubai, um, which I find mm-hmm. interesting that you're Tunisian because I feel like Tunisia and North Africa in general are really underrepresented here in the Arab world. Um, the main platforms that we talked about earlier, Vogue Arabia, um, just, just all the platforms are always talking about the UAE, Lebanon, Cairo, when we're talking about fashion and culture, of course. I feel like North Africa is underrepresented in a way. So
1: what is happening in Tuni- Tunisia? Uh, Tunisia is very much buzzing right now. I mean, uh, we're, we're a very young country, just like Saudi Arabia, uh, going through a lot of changes. Obviously, the youth um, are spearheading those changes th- thanks to social media. And uh, I feel like, yeah, Tunisia is, is, is before because we were under dictatorship. I think creativity was never encouraged, right? So creativity brings... Uh, Bring, brings criticism and this is not what um, the uh, dictator wanted and now everyone is like uh, you know enjoying a new sort of freedom and and the arts are booming so it's a very very exciting it's a very exciting place to be um and no i feel, i feel like uh, you were you were talking about underrepresentation in arab media for north africans i don't really feel that it's the case because we have so many, um, you know, you have so many articles about Elsie, the graffiti artist. Hensabri who is a major um, actress. She's from Tunisia as well. Uh, you know, Dora Zarouk. Uh, all of those uh, amazing artists are also present in uh, in in GCC-based um, GCC-based media. I feel like. Uh, it's, it's only new that GCC-based media are covering Arabs. I don't know if you know that, uh, especially fashion and lifestyle ones. Of course, uh, political ones have always uh, done it. And uh, the ones, um, of course, in, in the Arab language have done it for since the 70s, since the rise of magazines like Hia. Uh, it's, it's fairly new. So I feel like those magazines, they're really looking across the board from Morocco to Yemen for like... Uh, talented artists. And uh, I commend them for it. Although it's new, but, you know, it's it's a good thing that is happening right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of preconceived ideas about Arab culture, especially as seen through the eyes of the Western world. But what are some of those stereotypes, um, though, that you think
1: need to be challenged? Well, the first one that, uh, because I'm in Tunisia right now, and we have access to like some some French media, the first one is everybody in the West seems to think that um, all, any women wearing a hijab is has been forced to do so, um, when in fact it's just a religious, uh, you know, concern. Uh, women who wear the hijab are, uh, you know, not uh, well. Most of them, of course, there are uh, there are families that uh, that impose uh, impose the hijab on their daughters and on their wives, and and that's a very bad thing to do, in my opinion, but. Uh, this, this stereotype that the woman, the Arab woman is, uh, uh, first of all, thinking that Arab women are not powerful and they don't have agency in, in, in doing what they want is not true. Um, removing that agency from, from them is very harmful. Uh, to them and to the people who think that, you know, uh, then they would think less of us. They would think that we are just passive and 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 powerless, which is not true uh, in, in most cases, of course. Um, it's uh, that, the, you know, uh, our societies are a bit more conservative, of course, but uh, I mean, a lot more conservative, but it is not true to think, and especially for hijabi women, that they are, you know, um, powerless or that they are doing it under constraints, uh, family constraints. Which is not necessarily true. Um, and this uh, has been the de- debate in France. I don't know if you're following, but they want to ban the hijab for everyone. Another stereotype would be that we're not cultured and we don't have our own culture. You know what I mean? Like it, w- our our wealth of, of patrimony and culture is so unknown, you know, and, and it's so beautiful at the same time. So these are the little treasures that we need to promote more and more. As Arabs and as uh, cultural agents, I mean, so many stereotypes. No, not everyone is oil-rich, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, not everyone is a terrorist. You know, I, I, we we have such a bad rap, don't you think?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's about the that's the list, actually. And even people um, in the West who are educated often have like some of these ideas that you just listed you know about you know all the arabs are rich and they you know women i mean all of the things that you listed definitely and uh it, and i think that i think that what you were talking about how the arab media now is starting to cover arab talent um, in In the media, this will be very important in kind of retelling the story of Arab culture on the global stage and to change people 's preconceptions or misconceptions
1: absolutely i think I think a, a country like India is, is so rich in culture and they did a great job disseminating their culture. We did, uh, other, I can cite so many other countries, uh, Russia, China, Japan. In the Arab world, we've been, we've been struggling in our PR, let's say, <laughs> whoever that is, um, has been doing um, a so-so job in, in, in showing our culture and, and all the treasures that we have. And it's our job now to, to take the relay and, uh, and show the world what we're made of.
0: But how difficult is it to create authentic content um, that really represents the Arab youth Gen Z that we were talking about, the subculture, in a region that has such like a complex and really traditional social and religious uh, constructs and laws?
1: Um, Is it challenging? Um, It's not like, you know, there was this debate. People are like, no, it's really challenging. It's really hard to find Arab writers. It's really hard to find Arab directors. And I look at my colleagues and I'm like, I've been working in the fashion industry for 15 years and only hiring Arabs. Like, I don't don't see where you find the difficulty in that. Cause this is what I've been doing for 15 years. It's very easy to have an authentic portrayal of Gen Z or Arab in general, just hire Arab directors. They know they're Arab. Just hire Arab photographers, Arab makeup artists. Um, And and I'm emphasizing on that, of course, because there is a lack of it. If if there was no lack of it, I wouldn't imagine someone, an American saying, hire American photographers. But in the region, um, if you look at all the magazines, the lifestyle and fashion magazines, they're run by English people or people from Europe and they're not hiring um, Arabs. So, of course, it comes out disingenuous or a little postcardish. Um, when we create something at Meal, we make sure that it's authentic because people in front and behind the camera are from that, you know, specific target. So of course, it rings more true. Same thing for age. Uh, you wouldn't ask, you know, your parents to have the voice of Gen Z. You would have a Gen Z, uh, you know, voice their opinion or their lifestyle to other Gen Zs. And this is what we do. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, which is you know conservatives uh we're very much on the edge you know some i'm gonna give you an example for for, for the audience that doesn't know the arab world but you, you would find like a very free lawyer you know woman lawyer having a family etc she wouldn't smoke in front of her father for example she wouldn't smoke cigarettes um so this is the this is a society we live in and we need to kind of respect that and we need to respect our idiosyncrasies and we need to navigate being conservative, being open-minded, being ambitious, being, uh, you know, restricted. And, and this is what made, makes us, um, but if you understand the system because you are a part of it, then it's easy for you to either question it, follow it uh, uh, or, or celebrate it. It, it really depends on, on the article or on the piece of uh, art that you want to create.
0: You're on the advisory board for Fashion Trust Arabia Prize this year, alongside people like Nina Garcia, La Roach, Sarah Meno. You helped select 24 finalists out of 800 applicants, which must have been a lot of work. So what do you look for when you're sizing up the work of up-and-coming designers?
1: I think that for, the, for Fashion Trust Arabia to have such luminaries, such icons, first of all, the list is so long and I, I don't know how uh, Tanya Ferris and Sheikh Al Mayasa did it. I mean, I know because they're, they're such beautiful people, but to have this caliber of uh, this roster of people looking at young talent's work is invaluable. Uh, for your question, what I look for in a young designer while selecting them is um, several things. The, the first thing is, do I see a brand and not a collection? I don't know if you, if you get me, like uh, sometimes, you know, you can, you can have a very nice dress, you can do a very nice collection, but I don't see a brand. What's your message? Who are you? Uh, beyond just those, you know, um, photographs that you are showing me. I think it's important uh, nowadays to, to embody, you know, values uh, um, to, to become successful as a person. We talk about personal brand a lot and and, and it's even more important in fashion. So, first of all, what's your brand? What's your message? Um, Then, uh, am I going to find the same piece in fast fashion, which is what we're trying to fight? Uh, You know, are you designing something that is innovative? Are you designing something that is fresh? Uh, The third thing that I look, when I select the finalist is, do you have a viable business? Do you understand that, you know, uh, fashion is at the confines of art and commerce that, you know, you can be the most talented designer if you don't have a solid business plan then you're not going to be able to produce. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much what I look at.
0: Those are great tips for anyone who's planning on applying in the future. So thank you for divulging your secrets. <laughs> um, but, so um, I read a really interesting little article on mealworld.com mail, about how the UK is banning influencers from using beauty filters when they're promoting products including things like weight loss products um, you know they make they, they're selling a weight loss product and then they shrink their body with a filter um, so the UK you know authorities are saying it's false advertising so and there and the article suggests that Instagram as a whole might start restricting this which um, what do you think about
1: that? I think it's great. I, th- I think like, if, if Instagram could have like a disclaimer when turning on the application saying Instagram is not real life, that would be very helpful to a lot of people. Uh, uh, myself having like some following on Instagram, I keep on like trying every time I post a photo, I try to tell them this is my best angle on my best day with a filter. This is not me. You know, it's very, very important, I think, for for those kids to understand that all of this is like, uh, uh, how do you call it? You know, fairy dust. Instagram is uh, showing showing the best of the best, the highlight of the best moment of your life. So it's it's and a filter on top of it. So it's for sure not, you know, something that you should compare anything else to. It's it's fiction. And, and and what uh, the UK is, is doing with banning filters, at least when promoting uh, beauty creams or weight loss, uh, at least um, this is a great thing. And I think uh, we should follow suit for sure.
0: I think if Instagram does that as a you know, worldwide policy, I think 99% of influencers will drop out of the scene completely. <laughs> <laughs> which might be a good thing we waste so much time looking at these people like it's hard you not know, to look. this
1: outfit is not your outfit this car is not your car you know you need to start saying those things and and, and most of them now in the uae there is a there is a law where they need to say when 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 it's sponsored or they will get fined They need to say, this is not my outfit, guys. This is not my car. This is not, you know, and and it's very important for mental health. Today, I I was reading an interview, Eva Chen um, was interviewed for Fashion Trust Arabia, actually. And she was saying, uh, Eva Chen works uh, at Instagram and is a great fashion editor. And um, she was saying uh, Instagram's uh, and my own personal goal for this year is to increase awareness on mental health. And 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 platforms like Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, all of that—they're they're very harmful for for mental health. So they have this responsibility.
0: Well, it's a good subject to talk about because it is Mental Health Month. So um, and it's certainly messing with a lot of people's mental health. And it's it's so tough for kids, you know, coming up who don't understand that that's not how things have always been and that that's not reality. So you're, I think the idea of putting disclaimers and and you know, it's that's the right way to go. So it's nice to see that happening. I'm glad you wrote that, like had that article. I, I didn't know that they were doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're doing that. Um, we we covered it as well. Um, the UAE laws are very strict on on social media, and we also covered mental health and social media. Every, everything Gen Z related, I mean, we're pretty, pretty much on the pulse of, of what's going on. I hope so. i um, taking my own horn here. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, mental health is very, very important. We've never talked so much about mental health in the region, um, let alone internationally. So it's it's a great thing. It's a, it's a great, great thing. But we're still not there, of course. It's all bells and whistles. And uh, we, we kind of need to give... The audience tools to understand what's real, what's fake. It was the case for fashion magazines in the '90s. It's still the the case uh, today. Definitely.
0: Um, you just did this great film with Gucci. Um, I'll let people mm-hmm. discover it on your platform. What's coming up next? Any cool projects that you want to share with us before you go? Uh,
1: I mean, we have we have great projects. Our our. Um... You know, our vision is uh, to localize content always. So it was a great opportunity when Gucci came to us saying we have a Ramadan collection. We were like, listen, Ramadan equates to one fasting, two charity, three family time, four watching TV, and uh, and and if you want to resonate with the audience as opposed to just doing something that is beautiful, just beautiful imagery, uh, we advise you, you know, uh, to do Muselcel. And one of the uh, Gucci uh, team uh, members was like, oh my God, this is an idea that my father had as well. I think it's a great idea, let's do it. And it really resonated and went viral, so we're very happy. Um, other projects are in the same vein. It's like having a luxury brand come to our region, and kind of like uh, adapt our codes and and that's very that's very new for luxury and uh, we you'll see more of surprising content coming from luxury brands when it comes to to meal being uh, the creative agency so we're very blessed in that regard
0: sofia galati it's been a lot of fun good luck with everything
1: thank you so much nadia and thank you so much for having me on your brilliant podcast
0: that's it thanks for listening hope you enjoyed it don't miss the other two episodes in this series Featuring Joe Arida, the Lebanese founder of La Terre Folle and Jordan-based designer Napsika Skourti. Take care, everyone.